1: Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Austin, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you.
1: We're just a couple of we're just a couple church kids.
0: Just a couple of crappy church kids, you exactly. know. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's like my new children's podcast, Crappy Church Kids.
0: Crappy Church Kids.
1: So your book, uh, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers, came out last year. Yeah, it's your story of you know a church kid. I love the subtitle, A Church Kid's Journey from Confidence to Questioning to Christ. And I think if you're a church kid, a lot of us hear that and go, "Uh huh, yeah."
0: Yep, rings a bell.
1: Oh, it rings a bell. Tell me about your book and kind of what brought it about.
0: Yeah, well, the the book is. Kind of a memoir esque look at my experiences being born and raised in the church and kind of going through, uh, particularly my middle high school college years in youth ministry, young adult ministry, campus ministry era and and one of the reasons why I wrote the book was because I know many people share the same experience of going through especially a, a spiritual or faith community and being given a whole bunch of beliefs, ideas, practices, ideologies, which you hold very close to you and how you see life, how you see God and yourself. And kind of in many cases, feeling like and being taught that the level to which you believe these ideas that we're giving to you equates with kind of your spiritual well-being Mm -hmm. and how healthy your relationship with God is or how mature your faith is. And that was the case for me and many of my friends growing up. And then there's a place where you get to as you go. or as When I got older, as I kind of went through middle school, high school, and then to college, where I started to realize that all of the way that kind of defined the normal way that we conducted our lives as church kids, there were things that really weren't that normal, <laughs> which as you go through them I and as you start to see that, you start to kind of take it back to, okay, the way we're doing that you take it back a few steps, is connected in some way to this belief that Mm -hmm. we were taught. And I grew up in an atmosphere where all the beliefs are pretty foolproof. Mm. And once I notice, okay, there's one idea, just one that I don't fully believe, there's now a a small crack in that vase I was told should not have any cracks. Mm -hmm. And now that there's one Oh, no, are there more things I don't believe? I kind of have to have a more critical eye in examining all the things I'm learning, all the ways I'm living as a Christian in my particular sect of Christian theology or whatever, and having to navigate, okay, now there's some questions. What do I do with that? And what are not only the obstacles, but the possibilities of what that might bring to my life going forward as a Christian?
1: What was your religious upbringing? Because there's, right, there's that spectrum. And then th- that spectrum has its own spectrum. Oh, so my some gosh, yeah. kids grew up with, like, the angel eyes on the TV <laughs> yeah. and, like, real intense. Others, it was more, like, they got more grace. What was your, where did you land on the Christian church kid spectrum?
0: That's a great question. So, I mean, my so for, for context, my father, my dad was the very first Baptism into our Los Angeles based branch of a much larger church organization. So he was one of the very early days of what became my home church. Okay. And he was a lot, a big help too. Once the things started getting more convoluted in the way I was seeing how my life was being kind of navigated, he was a very good barometer to say, okay, no, there were some parts of that back in the early days that weren't great. Yeah. And that thing has changed over the years. And that's weird how that kind of evolved and became an unhealthy ideology. We're non-denominational. Our church okay. was, so it was very much when asked what we believed, we're like, oh no, we just believe the Bible, right? As if that answered all the questions. We follow the Bible. Oh, great, thank you. That narrows it down a little bit, <laughs> But very lax Sundays. You know, people in the teens were were wearing basketball shorts and T-shirts, like one of those things. Yeah. And I mean, I credit this book a lot to my parents because I mean, they were there from a very early stage for over twenty years, and as opposed to the atmosphere of the church itself mm-hmm. which was definitely more rigid more a lot of less grace more shame in a yeah. lot of aspects which i came to know as i went through it right um my parents were very much the opposite which the things that they were learning on their own really helped me navigate and helped me see the difference between what i was seeing in church and what i was seeing in my home right which was a very nice without that i know a lot of people who who didn't have that to base their faith around. Yeah. So they were just tossed and turned by the waves of what they're being told to, to do and believe.
1: I mean, I had a pretty much identical experience. And now as an adult, having those conversations with my parents is so interesting that they are willing to look at an institution that they loved and invested themselves in right. and be like, oh, it yeah, I missed the mark on some stuff.
0: It's very hard to see when people are in it, too. Oh, yeah. Like when, when my parents were in it, they definitely had and were able to voice their differing opinions of what was being done in the church. But once you're once we all left, it was one of the things where, oh, now the floodgates are open. We see so many more things that we're like, I'm glad we decided to stick to our morals in this because yes. it went way further than we've imagined.
1: Yes. But it's also really interesting from, so I'm a parent now. Yeah. And so now as a parent, taking my kids to church, it's just this very trippy like circle of life where are there things that I learned and were communicated from the church that I went to that I probably am still unpacking as a 34 year old? Sure. Sure. But I can also look at it and see my parents really were, they really were trying. Like they really were yeah. doing their best. And I'm so thankful for that foundation.
0: That goes a long way. A long way.
1: Exactly. So you mentioned kind of the crack in the vase. Most people who have gotten to this point, like they know what their crack was. Yeah. That's a weird sentence.
0: What their crack was. Well, their crack what was your crack in <laughs> the
1: vase was. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, and I've talked to a lot of, I mean, obviously since the book came out, I've had a lot of people just come to me and just vet their stories because they yeah. need someone just to go, oh, you get it? Here's all my stuff. Right. For better or for worse. But I've gotten a really good perspective on a lot of kind of, stories and experiences that are kind of outside my realm. And I've noticed that, I mean, obviously there's a good percentage of people who for their crack was, was one moment, one specific instance. And then for others, it was kind of a drawn out little things at a time that wasn't one defined thing, but just they gained an overall awareness after it kind of for a little while or a couple of years or whatever. And for me, it was a kind of a mixture of both. It was one instance, but the instance itself was kind of an evolution of a couple of years of an experience. And that was which I talk about a lot in the book because my book is so centered on younger middle school high school college age. Yeah. A lot of my experiences and a lot of the the, the windows through which I was able to perceive and discern bigger issues in my church yeah. was through the way my church navigated the dynamic between guys and girls relationships. Yeah. Cuz that's such a big topic and it's such a big thing when you're that age. That governs a lot of maybe more than it should of The ways that the church views you.
1: And communicates with you.
0: Exactly. Views your own ability. Views their faith, not just in God, their faith in you to do stuff on your own.
1: And like what you're even, like, I can remember being in stuff and being like, I mean, yeah, I think about boys, but I think about other stuff too. Like, can we talk about something else?
0: Like, Yeah. And it was always... And there's always that big emphasis on, oh, next Sunday, we're talking about dating. Right. It's like, okay, get ready, guys. And then in my church, at least, they will give us a few pointers of scriptures of what God likes for dating, and which, which isn't really in the Bible anyway. <laughs> and then they would kind of end it up and never get into something that was really deep. And they would never hit the deep questions that we were all wanting to know. And what that caused in my church was a very rigid dynamic between the guys and the girls, just in my age group, in our couple of, you know, four or three years of the, the groups that you kind of go through the church with. Yeah. And it created so much extra drama where in that age group, you already have so much drama because you don't know how to, how to navigate your feelings and all that stuff. You're figuring yourself out. But add to that the, the constant notion that was never directly told to you. Well, sometimes it was, but often it was just implied through the way that you were treated, which was that you can't really trust yourself when it comes to how Ooh. you do this. <laughs> Which is a big thing for I there there me and a lot of my friends. We talk very regularly about our experiences, and we're still trying to unlearn a lot of that that just latched onto us about we're one step away from really not just putting our faith in jeopardy, but putting the girl in question's faith in jeopardy, even if it's not romantic, just platonic. We're we're really a potential threat to their relationship with God. And what that caused was when I started liking a girl and really with the best intentions, tried my best to navigate it and get advice to make it a successful, even if it wasn't ever dating, just a successful attempt. Right. It got so convoluted because so many people had different ideas of what was right. And every person who told me what they thought was right, they took as being, if you don't take this advice, then you're in sin. Right. And I I got a lot of advice, which I now know I shouldn't get as much as I did. But I, I was I was 13, 14 years old. And right. that was the first thing I saw was like, man, How convoluted this got and how shameful and how weighted just I felt about the whole thing was like, this can't be the way this is meant to be.
1: Amen. Well, and you really, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said they taught you you couldn't trust yourself. Yeah. It is fascinating to hear that coming from a male church kid, right? Sure. So Because we just have different experiences. Yeah. You know, right? I'm not like, oh, the boys got out scot-free and like it didn't mess them (laughs) up at all either. But I literally tell a story in my book talking about purity culture and talking about the church, and I'm like, I went to camp and my mom had to buy me a one-piece swimsuit, basketball shorts, and an oversized T-shirt, none of which (laughs) I owned, and I had to wear all of them. And the boys didn't have shirts on.
0: Nope.
1: Like the boys were just walking around without shirts on.
0: And in my book, I go through and I I explain my experiences with it and and purity culture and all that stuff, and then I take a, a moment to go. If you think what I narrated about my experiences, my guy friends, that was bad, I go, man, the level that the girls had to go through, which so many of my, my friends were girls and that, I mean, we grew up together for 18 right. years and seeing they had what we experienced as the base foundation, plus these different levels of, oh no, you need to do this because the guys can't do this and you need to do this to protect the guys, whatever, back and forth and back and forth. There's layers and layers and layers that go way deeper than even what we experienced and are still mm-hmm. unlearning at 24, right?
1: But so what, your takeaway being you couldn't trust yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: Like that's blowing my mind a little bit because the girls were (laughs) taught, right, that it was our responsibility, that it was Mm -hmm. our responsibility to make sure that the boys didn't stumble. Yep. The purity thing got thrown really our way. Like no boy is going to want to drive a used car or that that language. Yeah. So what was the, like, I can't trust myself was it you couldn't trust yourself. Just to like know what to do and how to act, or was it like a matter of your like, were you taught that you couldn't like trust your sexuality, which is also God given?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, everything you listed as the examples of what the girls go through was, was the same things that the girls in our ministry had to go through the same, same. Like, I was, t- I had a, I have my own podcast from the book that I had a, um, one of my childhood friends on yesterday, and we recorded a podcast about her experiences, and it was, all the same things. And yeah. just like, you are, I mean, she she was actually, she had to write a letter to the leaders of our church explaining how she was a harlot and was leading the guys away from Christ. Like, that's bad, but that's a side note. So that's just the levels of people, what they're experiencing in our church. So they had that. One of the things that I, I, we really talk about, we've, we've talked about in the years since is that the guys really were made to feel like criminals for doing nothing. We were made to feel like preemptive criminals. That's the right phrase. Uh-huh. In, in that, yeah. we all had the best... Sure, as teens, people went, we were making mistakes. We were doing stupid things. Sure. But in the grand scheme of things, they were very, like, not bad. Just things right. that were bad for our church kid or whatever. But we so all of us had the best intentions. We were all seeking God. We wanted to be in the right place in life, whatever that means. But we were... Made to believe that, oh, no, okay, specifically, if someone had an interest in a girl, and they voiced that to a leader, or even to their friends, and it got up to a higher level of authority in the in the hierarchy, and they got wind of it.
1: Which, like, full stop, I don't even know, I don't know how I feel about that, period. Right,
0: it shouldn't even, that's already so many red flags, but right. I'm trying to get to the point where I'm going, it's like, this happens in all my conversations with my friends, I'll, we're like, dude, what were we a part of? Okay, so, so so it would get up, it would get to that level of of a, of a, of a leader that has like either a, uh, a leader of one of the small groups for the teens or whatever. Yeah. And it was, in my experience, at least, it was never directly stated to us like this, but it was very much always c- like contextually given to us that you're not strong enough in your relationship with God yet to be able to successfully lead a relationship with that girl, whether it be, dating or whatever because of that it was either oh the girl's also not strong enough so she it wouldn't be good to have her focus on you and not god that was often a thing. it was often a thing where she needs to be focused on god and if she's focused on you it's your she fault can't. And, and whatever she you really she can't. can't
1: multitask
0: right you can't love both okay yeah. and it was it was that and it was also if you are not completely 100 assured that you are rock solid in your relationship with god and your faith and your convictions which goes into the whole idea about certainty You have a 99.9% chance of messing up and taking her down with you. Right. Which is bad.
1: Look, I work in social media, so I am not judging. But if the first thing you do when you wake up is look at your phone, have a better idea. Instead of checking social media, open the Abide app and go through one of their daily meditations. They're based on biblical scriptures, and these audio meditations will center you and draw you closer to Christ. I also do them through the day when I feel hurried or stressed. It's super easy and effective. And for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off of a premium Abide subscription when you text the word REAL, R-E-A-L, to 22433. The meditations start at about two minutes long. I usually go for the long ones right when I wake up. Get started now with 25% off a premium subscription by texting R-E-A-L-REAL to 22433. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. So support this show and get your 25% off by texting R-E-A-L-REAL to 22433. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you're among them, I need you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver some results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning. Nutrafol has three physician formulated formulas using natural drug free medical grade ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to NutraFold.com and entering the promo code BLAKE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer they offer anywhere. And it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get fifteen dollars off at Nutrafol spelled N U T R A F O L lcom Promo code Blake.
0: We're frozen in our boots. Like, well, well, well. What do we do? We're told to get married at a certain age, and and I know it's not yet, but like that's the starting phases. Now, what do I do? So, I, we just we're frozen in fear, which is the epitome of the Christian church kid. In this instance, right? It's not the way. That God wants us to live, man.
1: No, because he isn't a God of fear or of uncertainty. Absolutely. right. Like he isn't a God of chaos. He isn't a God of confusion. And that's not to say that when you're 13, 14, 15, that everything isn't confusing. Right. But there should be this like source and this beacon of things that aren't confusing. And that should be Jesus. And it's sad yeah. that we're flipping that and making it sometimes the most confusing thing for these kids. Yeah. Present company included. And I think... Mm-hmm. That idea of like you can't trust yourself. I'm telling you, at 34, just in the last couple of years, I started undoing some of that. Just the general idea of, well, but if I have a new heart that looks like Jesus, if I'm made new in Christ, the old is dead and the new, then maybe I can trust myself. Maybe it wasn't trustworthy.
0: Then what was the point? What is my heart for if I can't trust it? If it's not Jesus inspired?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this like in a like the dating realm, but that was a larger, more like overarching issue. I think that's present tense, a larger overarching issue within Christianity mm-hmm. is like your heart is wicked and depraved. And it's like, you're not wrong. It's just incomplete. Like it was. Yes. And now it's not. So.
0: Absolutely. That's a line of my book. I say the whole idea about people being told that that you're broken and God fixes you. I said, mm-hmm. no, you're not broken. You're just incomplete and there's a piece missing, which Jesus completes for you. Exactly. It's a very different perspective.
1: It is. So I know the book's for like everybody, but it's largely written for kind of those things sort of the middle high school, college age. Sure. And I know that it's a, like a memoir style, but obviously has teaching and, and meat to it. Yeah. What has the feedback been like? Because I people just have to feel so seen, first of all.
0: Well, what I learned was, I mean, I wrote it as if I was writing it to myself going through it, my younger self, because I wanted him to know the things that you're questioning about and the doubts you have. Don't worry, you're not alone. And I got some answers for you, at least further along than you where you are. Now. Right. I still have questions, and that's okay. But here's some answers that I've got so far that at least expels the most harmful ideas you have.
1: Yeah. Uh, but
0: it's funny, because I wrote it, if I were to have written it for, let's say people in their fifties, then people who are in middle high school and college wouldn't be able to relate very much. I don't right. think, but because, and there are some universal ideas, but because I wrote it for the younger age, I'm getting many responses from people who are in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, even who can relate because they experienced that and however many it. years ago. Yeah. And it has still so many of the, of the, the roots that were planted then have lasted that many years for them. And that's, yeah. this is the stages where a lot of that stuff starts if you're in the church at or at, at, at that age. Um, so it's been very interesting to see people who have been dealing with some of the adverse effects of the things I experienced. And they experienced three decades later saying, thank you for saying this. I've had this my entire life, holding on to this idea that I can now start to work through and kind of let go, which has been really, really cool.
1: Well, yeah, and I, th- that was my thought was like, yeah, maybe this doesn't quote unquote apply to my life. Right. Day is like a 34 year old mom of two. Right. But I was a 16 year old youth group kid at one point. And right. there is something about having these conversations or reading content like this. First of all, sometimes we just need to be reminded that we aren't crazy. It, this re- really was they really did compare you to chewed gum. Yes, <laughs> like let that really sink in. <laughs> like that does not sound like you know Jesus's message for his kids, but that the it peril also of had, gum. yeah, right. But that it also did have lasting impact, right? And then that gives the gener, because generations like ours are now stepping into those roles of being the youth pastors and being the leaders, and it gives us my hope is the opportunity to do it differently.
0: It's been fantastic hearing. I mean, I've had multiple people reach out to me or my parents and say, Hey, I read this book who are often parents of people who I grew up with sometimes. Yeah. And they go, we're in a different ministry now in whatever state we gave this, we sent it to our youth leaders, our youth pastors. Mm -hmm. And I've, I already know of multiple people who are youth pastors who have read it and are at least starting to implement some ideas and, and starting to question some of the things they're doing, which I think yeah. is just an insane step of, and even people who are my age in, in however many years are going to start being and are starting to be right. leaders of people that are that young. It's starting to plant those seeds now of just even if you take one idea from the book that that was unhealthy in the way you were doing it, navigating it, you have started to say, oh, maybe this might be a little better to do it this way. That will in turn influence 30, 40 kids that you're leading. Right. It's that little thing, you know what I mean? And that's a, right. big, a big difference.
1: What's another like shift or difference for you?
0: A difference in terms of Like what? things
1: that you want to see maybe change from people reading your book and implementing the change.
0: One thing I talk about is connected. One thing I talk about a lot in the book in the later chapters, is when I start tying it into the bigger ideas is uh, the necessity, the necessity for reliance on the Holy Spirit, which in my church growing up it was non-existent it was non-existent it was said sometimes as the holy spirit is this mysterious figure this cloaked figure yeah But you never know but it was mysterious and he kind of moves the waters quote unquote. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> whatever that means and okay great but no he's an entity he's a necessary entity of a trifecta of beings that you need to know because his power is so prevalent now yeah for your life uh, he is in some ways the most intimate close entity that you can know, and who can guide you day to day, yeah. in my experience. And so that ties in to one of the things, particularly for younger ministries, which is sometimes a, a heavy reliance on emotion, mm-hmm. and the output of emotion, which I talk about confession night, cry night, I don't know, some people oh, call it cry yeah. night, church camps, yep. Yeah. And my camp, we call it confession night. And I talk all about how it's a prime example at these camps how the emotional output that one displays is equated with their connection with God or their conviction or the Holy Spirit working with them. Which sometimes it is. I'm not. No. I'm not denying that. No. Absolutely. But it's taken as if you don't cry, if you don't show like a breakthrough, a deep conviction of something, then you didn't quite get it. And there's a then a pressure of oh man, I'm not really feeling that level. I'm getting it. It's great, but I'm not like crying. Yeah. Am I missing something? Am I lesser? Whatever, and then that translates very often to Sunday worship. It translates to small. It translates to campus ministry shenanigans and outreach and all that kind of stuff. It all comes back to that, and then it becomes very quickly inauthentic.
1: I mean, borderline manipulative.
0: Oh no, I talked about that too. There were definitely sides that went on Reddit one time, and I found a thread that it took two hours to go through. Of people sharing their experiences at church camps and the measures that were taken just to produce an emotional output from the people. And I believe it's well-intentioned. Uh, 99% of the time it's well-intentioned, but the priority gets so out of whack because they're now looking at, they're now looking at, oh, we need emotion because that equates, because they, they truly believe this equates to God showing up.
1: Conversion.
0: Right. And it's no longer, let's let us let these kids be convicted on their own. convicted let, Let's let these kids really just give them life-giving stuff let them take it however way they want to. But we believe that what we're giving them is right and true yeah. and helpful rather than get them to cry,
1: get them to come down the aisle. Absolutely. And you made this point. It's all so connected, right? Because if we're it teaching things about the Holy Spirit, if we're teaching them who he really is, what he's really capable of, the closeness that he achieves with us, yep. then you that transfers straight into the dating conversation.
0: It absolutely does. That was a big part.
1: Yeah, like that transfers straight into the trusting yourself conversation. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, if that's even, that's a seemingly simple place to start, but how many adults don't have a great grasp of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And then you're trying to teach it to kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what it is, is one generation gets, let's say, half the picture, which obviously it's a big, half is a lot, but it's half. And depending on what elements fall into the half you get and parts you don't get is very Telling of how you live your life. Yeah. Then your kids maybe get 80% of that because you sometimes people don't give 100% of what they have to the next generation. Then that generation gives 60%. Right. And soon you have, you have 10% of the Holy Spirit, of what, you, of what he wants you to know about him. And then you have an extra 30% added on that isn't just other things that you've ever told constitute it. So now you have 40% of the Holy Spirit, which is already less than half. But 30% isn't even true. Yeah. And it's harmful. Yeah. Then 10% is true, but it doesn't connect. So it's just kind of on an island and you don't know how that translates to your life. There's no bridges, right?
1: Right. Well, and it's because it's such an uncertain conversation. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is impossible to nail to the wall. Yeah. We're not going to make this scientifically makes sense (laughs) and so i think a lot of people just brush it off to the side because it requires them to embrace the supernatural and people don't know how to do that right because western christian western christian christianity is like completely removed that from it Yep, this is like a whole thing for me and i love that you're talking about it
0: oh that's a whole other conversation but i'm totally in line with it absolutely yeah
1: love it yeah well tell people where they can keep up with you where they i know they can get the book wherever they get books
0: Yeah, wherever you guys get books. And then I'm mostly active doing a lot of stuff on my Instagram, which is at Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N underscore N-O-L-L, Noel. Then I also have the Crumpled Papers podcast, which ties in directly chapter by chapter with my book, with guests going through the different themes and really getting in there with some broader experiences. So
1: that's awesome. Crumpled
0: Papers podcast. Yeah.
1: Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.